It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing, a weekly bash cast brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 135. Suicide, space and other spurious correlations. It's 25 minutes to 9 on Thursday the 21st of March 2019. Coming up tonight on the Bashcast... We look at Dead or Alive 2, sequel to the Dead or Alive slot that's coming out soon. It is International Friendlies Stroke Euro 2020 Qualification Week in the football. After the break. A report from America asking, do sportsbooks really ban shops? An MIT panel talked to William Hill about the controversy. Uh, we end up with sound issues in the Bashcast, uh, which are designated with this soundbite. Hey you, get your damn hands off her. And we finished with another, a part two of the editorial about all of the site changes recently. All that and more coming up tonight in the Bashcast. Tonight's background sport is Michael Van Gerwen versus Daryl Gurney. The only... Hey you, get your damn hands off her. Um... The only one of the five Premier League games that I don't have a bet on. The other four, I I put those four as draws into a £2.50 Yankee. That's 11 bets. So £27.50 Yankee. Which would have returned 2.1k if all four were draws. Um, but Price Cross wasn't a draw. Wade Wright was. So if the last two are draws, I still get 350 quid. And this is just kind of for fun in the background. Hey you, get your damn hands off her. Whilst the Bashcast is on. This is a relatively new account, so I want to come across like a muggy mugster, not taking any value, just taking whatever price is available for these draws. Um, didn't fancy the draw on Van Gogh and Gurney, Van Gogh and Gurney, but the rest of them. So hopefully this will allow me to look like a muggy mugster down the line when I come to withdraw and maybe get a little bit more life out of the account. Or maybe... It'll do nothing. So, listen, there was only a bash cast, how many days? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like four or five days ago. So this isn't going to be a hugely long one this evening, but I wanted to get back into a routine. Also, I want to do one next Thursday, because on the Friday I'm off to Arizona with Sasha for four days or five days. 
Um, so if I don't get into back into the routine of Thursday bash casts, then we're going to be all over the place. It's going to be non-routine. That's not going to be any good for anyone. A lot of feedback over the comments of the site last week. I think, though, um, I'm not going to report on that yet. I want to get a good balance of positive and negative. Does seem to be more positive than negative, but there is still the negative. So there's, there's stuff to balance it there. But just one more editorial at the end of this, and then we'll have a couple of weeks and reflect on it. Then see see if we can look at a little bit of a bigger picture. So the only thing the only thing I would like to correct is um, anyone that's perhaps new to the site since. Well, the last major of last year, would that have been, what was that? That would have been the PGA, the PGA Championship that Brooks Koepka won. That was uh, where Tiger was storming on the last day as well. Hey you, get your damn hands off her. As Gurney misses a dart to, for too all. Um, so... Like, since the conception of the site, and for a long time before, like, for nearly a decade now, I, I found an edge in scraping golf majors and picking off the best value mathematically. And then, like, like a dart, like, covering the field. In the, in the old, old days, when it was super easy, my goal would be to cover, say, the top 20, and then have the majority of 20 to 40 and then pick off a few golfers after 40th position it's certainly harder recently but there is more value um so it was the middle of cheltenham last week but also the players championship which is like it's not a major but it's the first big golf tournament of the year a couple of bookmakers were paying out we're paying out 10 places on it plenty of liquidity in the top five markets definitely worth a scrape um and i had heard from some quarters that perhaps i only timed the scrape with changes in the site to perhaps soften the blow of the changes whereas i would have if if you know you can have a look in the forum and just go back years and see that I have I tend to always scrape these um, golf tournaments. So sort of putting two and two together and getting seven there, I am certainly going to stand up when things are just blatantly wrong. Um, that is a spurious correlation, which is going up in the wall of spurious correlations along with, so if you have a look at this, you can check out the graphs. They've taken two entirely different subjects um, and found relationships between things that you would think were completely spurious. For example, U.S. spending on science, space, and technology since 1999 correlates with suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation with an R of 0.998. That's a huge R as spending slowed down, as did suicides in the mid-2000s. So perhaps there is a correlation there between spending on science, space, and technology and hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. Also, 
number of people who drowned by falling in a swimming pool from 1999 to 2009 correlates with films that Nicolas Cage appeared in. It's not an exact correlation. It is 66.6%, though you can see it dipping in 2003. It was a big year for 2007 for Nicolas Cage films and the number of people that drowned by falling into a swimming pool. It sort of peaked at 120 drownings that year. Another spurious correlation, per capita cheese consumption correlates with the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bedsheets. Huge correlation as well. Year on year, there has been a rise, up to about 800 deaths by 2008, and also 33 pounds of cheese consumption per capita in the same year. Um, the age of Miss America has correlated with murders by steams, hot vapors, and hot objects, with an R of 0.87. The worldwide non-commercial space launches correlates with the sociology doctorates awarded in the United States of America, with an R of 0.78. It's like a synodial curve all the way from 97 up to 2009. Uh, the per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese correlates with the civil engineering doctors awarded. Doctorates awarded, which is R equals 0.958. And if we just pick one at random now, the letters in winning words of the national spelling bee correlates with the number of people killed by venomous spiders, R of 0.8057. I'm just saying the correlation between me putting up a scrape on the forum last week, which if you scroll back in the forum, you can see I've done for every major and big tournament since 2016, has no correlation with any of the changes that have happened on the site recently. Now, I normally don't check my email during the middle of the bashcast, but this has just dropped in. I always look forward to receiving emails from Matt, the Wicked Jackpots VIP manager. He says, hi, how's it going so far? It's nearly the weekend. I have a quick code for you. Use the code SPRING for a 57% games bonus. It's always random number percentage games bonus with Wicked Jackpots. The maximum bonus you can receive is 100, which is unfortunate. Sometimes they do like 250. Hey you, get your damn hands off her. So my strategy always with this, these cassava casinos is to play cash on Dead or Alive, the highest of high variance slots, and then hope to win literally tens of thousands. And if don't win tens of thousands, go into the bonus, which has a cap. So you have to drop down in, mathematically, you have to drop down in stakes and drop down in variance of slots. So like, you know, 1% or 1-2% to of the bonus on Drive Multiplayer Mayhem is my choice. I like that, by the way, it's fun because it's like, it's got multipliers in it. So you get the times 2, times 3, times 4, times 5. Then it multiplies all together, unlike some charlatan machines like Raging Rhino or Buffalo that take a times 2 and a times 3. And in their world, times 2 times 3 is... 
5, apparently. Well, here, times 2 times 3 is 6, times 4 is 24, times 5 is 120. So it's like you're doing a 2-pound spin, and you get the times 120, and it's like the equivalent of doing a 240-pound spin. Of course, that's all factored into the RTP, but I don't see it like that. It makes it fun. Anyway, uh, the only boring part of it is like the near infinite um, wagering requirements. But what I like to do, I've downloaded this auto clicker on my computer. Look, I'm by no means the king of slots. I'm not the world's greatest slots players, but this, these slots genuinely bring in a significant amount of EV comparable to sports. And so if these can tick along in the background, whilst other things are going on that keep more of my interest, then all the better. And to keep them ticking along in the background, I've got this auto clicker, which will like click the spin button for me. Because I figured, I timed it, it's 10 times quicker using autoplay, uh, sorry, using an auto clicker than it is using the autoplay itself, because it sort of kills the spin dead and says, time for the next spin with the auto clicker. So that's my advice. Do that in the background. Hours of fun as well for um, VIP presents, Wicked Jackpot. So over Christmas, I got a Christmas hamper. Then and my friend Chris got a drone of all things. He actually got an actual drone just sent to him. I, on the other hand, I can't remember if I've talked about this before on the Bashcast, if I have, whatever, sorry. I got a self-stirring coffee mug, which I didn't think I wanted until I started using it. I never actually thought I had a problem with the action of stirring a teaspoon my entire life. That never bothered me. But now I've got this thing, I can't stop using it. And it's broken now, and I'm gutted. I never wanted it. When I got it, I didn't think it was something that I was ever going to use. And then I started using it, and now it's broken, and now I miss it. I think I have talked about it before, so I'm not going to go on about this. And then I got a £25 shopping voucher. Always good, the little things like that, because, you know, you just give them straight to... Like, I always spent all my PokerStars VPIP points that I accumulated playing cash games on PokerStars on... You go to the, the store, and you can buy, like, merchandise, or you can buy entry into tournaments, or you can buy gifts specifically for women or your partner. If your partner's man, go and buy him some presents. But my partner is Jen, so I would buy her some... I, I would buy her, like, branded PokerStars clothing, but she loved it. So, yeah. And a £25 shopping. Actually, it reminds me. I think I ordered that, like, two weeks ago and it hasn't arrived. Let's check the email. Here's another email that's just come in live. Now, okay, so I said earlier... I'm not going to cherry-pick feedback. I'm not just going to talk... I'm not just going to, like pick the good feedback and read it out because that's like blowing smoke up my own ass. It's not particularly productive. Also, it's not realistic because if I get 10 bits of positive feedback and one bit of negative feedback, I will totally hang on the negative feedback. <laughs> that's what Duncan told me earlier. So I was moaning about some negative feedback. Not moaning. Like the thing about negative feedback is I feel like that you can action and change things a lot of the time, especially if it's constructive. If it's not constructive, like what I was discussing at the beginning of the podcast, then there's nothing you can do about it. But if it is constructive, then you can do something about it. But I was just forwarding this on. Duncan was saying, you know, 
you get 10 bits of positive and one bit of negative and you focus on the negative. I'm like, yep, that'll always be the way. So this has just come through. Um, and I don't know if this is positive or feed negative. So that's why it's okay to leave it, read it out live in the air because I don't know which way this is going to go. So another feedback. Um, okay, well, some feedback back to you. Um, grammar school. <laughs> I can talk, by the way. I, everything that I write is littered with error. Like most of the time, if something autocorrects in a message, I don't even bother correcting it. I'm just like, whatever. Uh, got here through the podcast a couple of years back and still enjoy every episode. Uh, was pretty much a newbie when I landed here. Not quite that now. Still learning a lot as I go along. And uh, good, because so am I. You know what I mean? I feel like every time we master a skill, um, then everybody else masters it and all the opportunity goes in that skill. And so you've got to continue to learn new stuff. The stupidest people you see commenting online are the people that think they know everything. So there you go. Regarding the death of Telegram, as I fit this around a full-time job and fairly full life, it was very hard to keep track of and Discord seems much clearer. Life's been too manic to look at the full membership upgrade, but it seems good progress. Generally, thanks to the team for all your efforts and to all the bashers in the community. That's from Drowned Rats. There you go. That's okay, I think. It's not, it's not overwhelmingly positive. But it's like generally things are going in the direct, right direction. I think that as well. So, chink my glass of whiskey to you, drone rat. I don't even remember what I was talking about. I was talking about, I was talking about the code I was getting from Wicked Jackpots. Because if I hadn't got, if I hadn't lost my attention span, it would have segued brilliantly into. Uh, Dead or Alive 2, NetEnt Online Slot. The Outlaws are back, hitting on all cylinders. Dead or Alive 2 is unarguably bigger and wilder, but is it better than the original? For those not in the know, Dead or Alive is the one of the most, if not the most, high-variant slot out there, which is great fun if you want to deposit... Um, and turn your cash over times 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 times rather than doubling it or tripling it. Not that there's anything wrong with doubling it or tripling it. If you want to play medium or low variance, then you go for it. Personally, I am a man that likes nothing more than to put a little bit more than Kelly would suggest he should on a 66 to 1 shot because it's 67 to back and 66 to lay. Ready. Three different free spins games. High noon salute. Train heist. Old salute. Dead or alive too. There's the meanest slot in the West. There you go. Dead or Alive 2 is the meanest slot in the West. The original Dead or Alive, this is a review now, okay, it's not my words. The original Dead or Alive hardly needs an introduction. Released in May 2009, the slot has gained 
almost legendary status and is still to this day one of the most played slots on the market, having had the opportunity to catch a glimpse of a list of top performing slots for a particular casino. It was noted that Dead or Alive was ranking number 11 on the chart, not bad for a slot that is nearly 10 years old. As a consequence of the Flash era coming to an end, Dead or Alive was subsequently converted to the HTML5 format. I'm going to give everyone a heads up. I have absolutely no idea what that last sentence meant, but okay, continuing. The controversy that ensued with many punters accusing NetEnt of having nerfed the game and something we brought up in one of our most popular articles seems to have had little impact on its status and popularity. Do excuse me whilst a 40, nearly 41-year-old man highlights that goes right click nerf google verb nerf third person singular simple present nerfs present participle nerfing simple past and past participle nerfed slang video games especially of developers rather than players to cripple or weaken a character or a weapon a spell etc there you go yeah, I played a lot of computer games growing up. I think I knew, I kind of, I was aware of the existence of Nerf without actually 100% knowing what it meant. So that meant that when we were playing GoldenEye 64 um, on the Nintendo and we would play four-person split screen and you would kill your buddy and then you would know that there were maybe five or six regeneration points around the level that you were playing. And so what you could do, as the blood ran down the screen, the screen like, dunna, 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 the James Bond theme tune, you could leg it to one of the six or seven regeneration um, spots to hedge your bet that that's where they're going to become alive again and start spraying that area with bullets. Because what that would mean was that they would come back alive and then immediately die again. Right, sorry, I've, I've lost myself into one of my... 1996-1997 university memories there. Continuing. Um, NetEnt themselves have repeatedly denied having made any mathematical changes to the slot. Though being a completely different game, the sequel does share many similar traits with the original. The industry standard RTP of 96.8% is the same as before, as is the 5-reel 9-pay line setup. The settings are somewhat recognisable too, making veteran punters feel right at home. In the main game, the action takes place in the main street of an old western town as the sunset beams its last light part particles into the backdrop. The ultimate showdown, however, is carried out throughout various settings. Through the old saloon... Oh, sorry, though the old saloon is still open to customers. In terms of features, the most distinguished difference from the original is indeed the free spins feature where you can choose from three games. Though the old retro visuals of the original are in no way off-putting and even hold some sentimental value to us, the sharp HD graphics and cut screens scenes of Dead or Alive 2 are indeed impressive. The symbols on the reels pay tribute to the original. Though with updated artwork, of course, you'll see eight, eight to ten royals, as well as more rewarding whiskey bottles, boots, cowboy hats, revolvers, and sheriff badges, the latter being the most valuable, giving you 100 times your stake for five across a full pay line. 
the wild is represented by each of the five outlaws and substitutes for all symbols bar the scatter as previously dead or alive too also includes a scatter win jackpot land five of them you get 2500 times your stake so here's the th here's the difference now there's three features and you can i believe you can pick one um each with unique mathematics and volatility you've got old saloon high noon saloon these are great for a Scottish accent, aren't they? Old Saloon, High Noon Saloon, <laughs> and Train Heist. My wife always asks me when I say I'm going down to the butcher. She asks me to repeat the word butcher 50 times, giggling more and more every time I say it. So we got Train Heist, High Noon Saloon, and Old Saloon. Train Heist comes with an increasing multiplier. Whenever a wild lands on the reels, the multiplier increases by one while also adding one extra spin to your total. Now, if the multiplier meter reaches 16 times, five additional free spins are awarded. That sounds quite big. Old Saloon, fundamentally the same game as good old Dead or Alive. All wins are multiplied by two here, and any wild landing on the reels locks in position for the remainder of the bonus. Landing all five outlaws will give you five extra spin. Here's your decision. Do you want to go for high noon, right? By far, by far the most volatile of the three options. Now, I understand getting the feature of the old Dead or Alive slot was 100 to 1, and then getting an, you know a big win with five additional spins was 100 to 1 once you were in the 100 to 1, something like that. So this high noon being by far the most volatile of the three options, the high noon free spins make use of NetEnt's max concept and comes with a staggering, record-breaking max win of over 100,000 times your stake, which at the time of writing is higher than any other non-jackpot slot out there. Brace for impact. It's virtually the original Dead or Alive on crack. The very same features of the old saloon free spins applies here as well but land more than one wild on a reel and they'll multiply in other words two wilds becomes a two times multiplier three wilds becomes a three times multiplier and so on so the question is if you're paying five pound forty seven pound twenty spins you know you could have some serious losing runs on the old dead or alive slot. What are your losing runs going to be when you can win 100,000 times your stake? I mean, you need to be playing 10 pound spins there and that, that's going to drop in a millionaire. We're going to be seeing million pound screenshots from dead or alive too. The question is, how long is it going to take? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Germany won, Serbia won, Wales won, Trinidad and Tobago nil. Thanks very much, night one of the Euro 2012 qualifiers. That meant that pre precisely nothing came in yesterday, which was a shame given that there was enough value hanging around for these games. Mostly, of course, the value, no one says it's going to be one all in one game and it's going to be one nil in the other. Most of the value says um, there's going to be goals and things are going to happen. So we had, um, straight off the bat, right in the beginning of the morning, 
we had over three goals, which is actually um, uh, over 3.5 goal market. Why, why William Hill depart from the X.5 syntax, which was designed to get rid of any ambiguity? ambiguity? No one has a clue. But the over 3.5 double uh, in shops was 9 to 1 in the morning. Off the bat, in a gappy market, it was 10 to back in 9.2 delay. You couldn't lay it. There was no lay market, but implied chance was 9.2. And it just came in during the day as it got better. It's on the tracker. You just watched it. You, the EV graph looked beautiful. If you click on any of the boosts on the tracker, you can see the EV graph over time. And what I'll do there is if it's really thin and then you click, click on the graph and it was like, it was never any good. It went from 103, 102 to 101, but it started at 103. I'm not massively interested in it. There's no reason to suggest that, that there's money to be made there ever. Yet, if I click on the same 102% EV bet and I see it's climbed up from 90, 91, 92, what that suggests to me is that smart money is coming in for it. And whilst basing the equity, the expected value on a static lay, isn't necessarily telling me that I'm going to make a lot of profit in the long term. Bolting on the fact that the smart money betting in this and driving the price down gives me a secondary reason to bet on it. And I will do. So in the, in the, in the second of those examples of betting on the first, I won't even do the, the, the same EV. So not only was that on the tracker, the over 3.5 uh, goals, there was also... Germany and Wales to win by three goals or more. Um, you know, Germany playing Serbia, Wales playing Trinidad and Tobago. So it's almost, it's almost like those bets are congruous with each other. Like if, if both Germany and Wales put up cricket scores, then both of those bets are going to win. So that was 17 to back. That was 17 to back. 15.2 to lay. And then by the time I looked at Betfair Sportsbook, it was cut to 14 to 1. And I still bet on it. Half for FOMO reasons, half because the price was being dry, driven down. I, I swear to God, I, I don't think that that's a negative EV strategy doing that. Um, so what I'm hoping for is that there are goals. Goals, 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 goals. Then... This was the interesting one. Excuse me whilst I click away in the background because I want to get this exactly right. You should look out for this in the future. Really interesting. Where is it? Let's go to yesterday in this thread. There was nothing interesting in William Hill today, by the way. Not a single positive EV bet that I could find. The second half... To have more goals, cards and corners than the first half in each of tonight's Wales and Germany matches. It's a difficult one to work out. One, there's no lay market. Two, you could maybe work something out from the spread sites, but it, there are a lot of assumptions there. It's very difficult to do. If you want empirical analysis, which I tend to do you know, I've got a data set of football games going back to 2010. The, well, the first problem with that is that there's not that many international friendly or qualifier games that have happened. I mean, there's enough, but not a huge amount. So your sample size is going to be quite small. And secondly, 
you know, it's relatively easy to get hands on scores and corners and cards, but not broken down by half. Not the cards and corners anyway. I mean, you can get half-time score, but first goal scorer, goal scorer names and cards and corners by half, that's not that easy to track down. It's not something that I have in large quantities. I've got one season's worth. Again, that's not enough for statistical analysis to, to hinge anything on it, looking at it heuristically. So I've got these double problems of not having the data. And when I do have the data, how much do European 2020 qualifiers help? How, how different are they to the data that I've got? So in terms of both of these problems, that means that working out if 20 to 1 is value is really difficult to the point of not worth it. However, it's said in the top left-hand corner, bet until 8.45. Well, why is that newsworthy? That's newsworthy because kickoff in both of those matches is 7.45. Sorry, guilty of overusing the drama sound set there, uh, sound bite there. But so this bet that the second half has more goals, cards, corners than the first half in both of Wales and Germany's um, matches. What if there are no goals and no cards and no corners in the first half of either match? Well, you're onto a hell of a bet there at twenty to one in the second half. And there's that. Well, if there are a few corners you got to work out whether it's positive expectation or not so you can you can during the match you can get an idea of how many corners and cards and goals there are going to be from the spread sites you can probably get a lay for the goals that's possible cards are a little bit more difficult you can get that from the spreads or you can use bet 365's bet builder which does work in play but um again if you're looking if if there's been three first half corners so you need four in the second half so you need seven or more sometimes you might have to pick eight or more it's, it doesn't give you every option but anyway this is the kind of bet that was definitely interesting if there were dry first halves so in the Wales game well half time was nil nil and there were Three corner kicks in the first half. And unbelievably, Kay George of Trinidad and Tobago got yellow carded in the last second of the last of the first half, which was unfortunate. But that's not very many corners. That's no goals and that's one yellow card. What about the Germany game? No cards. Four corners. Okay, four corners. But uh, the spreads were predicting 9.8. So they were still saying there's going to be 5.8 more corners in that game. And it was 1-0, but 1-0 to Serbia, which is sort of interesting. It meant that Germany weren't just going to park the bus. Serbia were 13-2 pre-match for that game. So the underdogs winning at halftime, I'm not too concerned about this. No, no cards. So any card in the second half. Two goals and five or more corners. And the Germany match comes in. Two yellows, any goal in the Wales match, and four or more corners, and the Wales match comes in. I estimated that at about eight to one to nine to one. 
Had that yellow card not gone in on the 45th minute in the Welsh match, it would have been down at 3-1. to one. So it would have been... And William Hill held 20-1 to one in store all the way up to 8.45. Halftime was 8.30. So between 8.30 and 8.45, if you were sat in William Hill or you had a runner in William Hill or you had access to a bet in William Hill, you could have got 20-1 to one on what was a 8-1. to one. It could have been as good as 20-1 to one on a 3-1, to one, which would have been outrageous. As it transpires... There was a goal in the second half of the Welsh game. There's a red card in the second half of the Germany game. The corners bets all steamed through. There was a yellow card in the Welsh game, but there was only one yellow card in the Welsh game, which meant that there were more yellow. There were the same number of yellows in the first half and the second half, and that's what killed it. The yellow card for K. George on the 45th plus two minute of the game. For Trinidad and Tobago killed the twenty to one for those opportunists that managed to get it. But that was like that was really weird that they held that there. Is that an error from William Hill? Or are they being naughty cheeky? Or what's going on? Like every other bet of the twenty or so bets that they had in store, you could bet up until kickoff. And that bet, which is really dependent on the action on the first half, they had open until half time. I haven't got a clue why. Don't know why. Moving on to day two of events, um, Scotland looking for qualification for the Euros to compete in a tournament for the first time since I can remember, for years and years and decades and decades and decades, uh, playing world-ranked 117 Kazakhstan, lost three bloody nil this afternoon. From a value-betting perspective, we found an angle that was really good in this game. Um, look, it was double delight hat trick heaven. It was double delight hat trick heaven that was awkwardly on at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday when loads of people are at work. But Fred was just awful when it came to the Scottish players. McBurney was four point five to back and seven point two to lay, and pretty much the rest of the Scottish strikers were like that. And typically. You know, this was roughly it wasn't an even match, but Scotland like number 40 in the world against Kazakhstan, number 117 in the world, playing in Kazakhstan, so all the way over the other side of the world in a foreign country, a long way from home. Can't be easy. So it's not, it, the, Kazakhstan were 10 to 3, which I instantly thought was a big price for them, in Scotland even money. But the, if you looked on the exchanges, there wasn't a penny available in liquidity for any of the Kazakh strikers, and there was plenty for McBurney and Burke and Forrest and McGregor and McGinn and Armstrong. And it's like market makers live in the world of familiarity. And I was look, looking at their markets across the board and just thought every Scottish player looks too short and every Kazakh player looks too high. And there's a value betting opportunity as a Scotsman on betting on the Kazakhs here. And then checking Double Delight, a lot of the prices of the Kazakhs were only one increment or so off top price, which if you're getting double odds for a second goal when the Kazakhs are at home in Astana in a foreign land against a Scotland team that can be woeful, all of a sudden we have an opportunity here. Now, Kazakh's main striker, Ormiedov, um, wasn't playing in this game. So we had to do a little bit of research. We had um, Mertseyev and Zinutinov up front. I, apologize, I can't pronounce these Russian names. I apologize. But 
So, Mertziev um, is a little bit familiar because he has played for Astara the last couple of seasons. So, he has had some European football. Um, your other chap, Zenutardinov, has been playing for FC Rostov. So, perhaps a little bit less... A little bit more under the radar. Both of them have got one goal this season. Both of them got two goals the season before. So it's a pick em between the two. For first goal scorer, Murtziev, 10-1. to Zinutinov, 11-1. to Those are crazy. That, that's Double Delight Hat-Trick Heaven as well. And they were both like one or two increments off top price. Those are insane prices for a first goal scorer for Kazakhstan, given that you're now looking at 20 to one or 22 to one if they can get a second goal in the game. And Kel surprise, Kazakhstan went ahead in the sixth minute, but unfortunately it was the midfielder, Pertsuk, who was also 11 to one, I think. Again, there was not even a penny traded, but not there wasn't even a penny available for him on the exchange. Voro... Vorogovsky got the second goal in the 10th minute. He wasn't even listed on Betfred, which I don't know how legal that is, but given that he was the second goal scorer. And then Zinutinov, who we wanted, did get the third goal of the match. Kazakhstan beat Scotland 3-0. Again, a value betting opportunity. It's one of these games. Always look out for it. If it's a home nation team versus an unknown team in the middle of the day on a Thursday when everybody's at work, not on a Saturday when there's a lot of money flying around, Look out for, always check the opposition. Because I, I, I'll bet you any money, there won't be any there won't be any value for the familiar players. But the opposition will often be massively undervalued. And simply because no one's betting on them. There's nobody walking into Betfred or William Hill or anything like that betting on Pertzuk to be the first goal scorer other than savvy value bettors. So look, it was... Um, it was the right idea, it was the right odds, um, it was just the wrong man. But that bet and the other bet that we mentioned, the half-time 20-1, which didn't come in, you know, I'll I'll take those bets a hundred times over and over again, even though they didn't come in. Don't focus on the fact that they didn't come in. Focus on the fact that the opportunity existed. That's the only important thing. I've said it before. It's way more important that the opportunity exists and you don't win, then you're winning bets that are negative EV. Because winning bets that are negative EV, um, it just means that in the long run you're going to go bankrupt. Whereas losing bets that are positive EV means that in the long run you're going to have all the cheeseburgers. Red Zone Sports have an offer up. This is this um, Steve Baumol that I was chatting to last week. How do they get away with having £1,000 money back offers or pay out early offers? I don't know. I actually don't know. And on the Kazakhstan versus Scotland game, they were paying out um, if you place a single on the pre-match, one times two match market and your team scores in the first five minutes up until four minutes and 59 on the clock, then regardless of the result... They are going to pay out in full up to £1,000. Now, in the Kazakhstan-Scotland game, bear in mind the Kazakhs were... They were 4.3 in the exchange, which means they were probably like 3.8, I would guess, at um, 
at Red Zone Sports. But that means that if you had £300 on them and they scored in the first five minutes, you would have been paid out that £1,000 if you were inclined to back and lay. And honestly, early payout offers, I don't mind if you back and lay. I think I sometimes... The early payout offers are slightly different. It's not value betting. I grimace when I see people lay, laying a four to back and a 3.8 to lay. And I hate it. And I think it's bad for them and the environment and everything. But early payout offers, double delight offers, even even though I don't lay double delight offers, I don't mind. I, I, don't, I don't mind if you do. Anyway... The average, the most common time for a goal is the 45th, 40th to the 45th minute of the game. I have muted this effing thing 600 times and it still decides that it's going to override the mute and make a noise. So I'm now just closing the program. Sorry, it's Discord on my PC. Don't understand how it gets through being muted. Oh, I do know how. Oh, that's why. That's really annoying. I spilled an entire cup of coffee on my keyboard before, just like literally. By the way, the bashcast was was delayed. Yeah, unbelievable. The bashcast was all set to go, all set to go. I pressed record. I leaned forward to put the microphone a little bit closer to me. I spilled an entire cup of coffee, an entire cup of coffee all over the keyboard. So I had to like delay the start whilst I turned the keyboard upside down and cleaned up the desk. And now I've just realized that the keyboard isn't responding. Presumably because I've spilled an entire cup of coffee in it. Which is why I've been going mute for the entire bashcast and you're still getting these blips coming through. The most common goal time is the 45th minute. But we're still getting, it, it's still roughly equal through five minute increments through the game. So it's still just a little bit less than a 5% chance of a goal. Now you've got to bear in mind that's 5% chance of a goal in the first 10 minutes, then the team doesn't have to win. In terms of qualifying losses, I would be looking at less than 1% of payout. So... I wouldn't want to lose more than... I mean, it, it, diff, it obviously differs depending on who the team is. You know, outsiders are going to have way more of a chance of scoring in the first five minutes and not winning the game, like San Marino did famously against England all those years ago. Um, whereas if Germany are playing San Marino and they go ahead in the first five minutes, they're simply not going to lose that. You know what I mean? So my tactic would probably be outsiders. I wouldn't want to lose more than 10%. So for £1,000, £10 qualifying loss, something like that. And that applies whether value betting or not. The value betting, this kind of would be a bit of a dumb idea because the, the odds generally are so low. This, this kind of offer is suited for laying. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's against my mantra. Hedging is for gardeners. But look, if you're going to value bet a team, you don't want to do it at red zone sports due to the crappy odds. Genuinely, this offer suits people there. So Kazakhstan, Scotland. Well, Kazakhstan were the outsiders, but they scored in the sixth minute. The other one was Northern Ireland, Estonia from this evening. I haven't caught up in this evening's games. Northern Ireland did win that 2-0. Both goals were in the second half. 
And then tomorrow we've got England versus the Czech Republic to keep us happy on a Friday night. And it's Wales versus Slovakia on Saturday. Don't know if I'll be in watching that England versus Czech Republic or it's 19.5 at the CrossFit Open, which is the last of the CrossFit Opens tomorrow night. So I'll probably be down at the gym doing that. Talking about the gym, trainer, the coach down there, Mike and Jen both share exactly the same favourite song in the entire world. Either because there's a coincidence there that they both just happen to like the same music or the coach of the gym and my wife are having an affair. One or the other, I don't know which way it is. But because of that, and as a favour to both of them, I'm going to slide it in to the bash cast today. Take it away. Jen. Okay, guys, you're listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net. Where you is is where it's at, and you can't beat that with a baseball bat. Where you is is where it's at, and you can't beat that with a bat. Where you is is where it's at, and you can't beat that with a baseball bat. Where you is is where it's at, and you can't beat that with a bat. Can't beat 
and welcome back to the Bashcast. That is Where You Is by Fatboy Slim 2017. In the bookie bashing news, there was a panel at MIT. MIT, a very famous university for advantage players. The um, the book Bringing Down the House, um, which is the first book I would have read as a as an early twenties um, broke human being. It was the first introduction for me to advantage play. It was all about, and it was about a if you if you haven't seen Bringing Down the House. Um, sorry, if you haven't read the book, there is a movie, but the movie sucks. True Life is always more interesting than sort of serialised fiction, always. So, get the book. It's it's a recommendation. Go onto Amazon, your Kindle, and your holidays, and read the book, Bringing Down the House. But essentially, it's a very clever postgraduate guy at MIT. Um, in Boston, in America? The Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I had to Google that. Shame on me. My aunt, my dad's older sister, is a professor of physics at MIT. And I know she lives in Boston, so I should have guessed that it was the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. But I didn't know. Next week, by the way, when I go over to Arizona, I'm going over with... Um, she'll be She'll be over there. It is my dad's 70th. Um, I'm taking Sasha as a surprise to surprise him go hey here's your granddaughter but who have I told about this plan there's a surprise and isn't to be spoiled I've told a three-year-old and as soon as I told her I was like what am I doing I've entrusted a three-year-old to keep a secret from her own granddad Um, and she's not going to tell him that she's going to be flying over to Arizona for his birthday for his 70th birthday anyway by the by um, so I'm familiar with MIT having, I've been over to Boston to see my aunt a few times and that, that, that was one of the things that made me interested about this book and there was some postgraduates um, six of them in total who in early 1990s, like 1992, 1993 they started having meetings they formed what they called the MIT Blackjack team, just um, playing around with the mathematics um, in in lecture rooms at university and showing how if you kept track of the cards that fell through a shoe and then you waited for the shoe to be heavily weighted in your favor in terms of high cards to low cards that remain in the shoe, then you could get an edge. And as casinos found out about this edge, it became sneakier and sneakier, having to wear disguises and work in teams so that once you realise that the deck is weighted in your favour, you sort of touch your nose or scratch your ear, and the other player on the table who you're working in a team with, but the casino don't know that you even know each other, knows then that they have to start, you know, betting really big... Um, Anyway, these guys from MIT took took Vegas Casino for millions. I recommend the book. So there's this panel 
at Advantage Player Friendly MIT um, with a number of sports books. This is the annual Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at MIT. Um, moderator Jeff Marr, a numbers and gambling whiz, best known for the inspiration in the main character in the blackjack book, Bringing Down the House. I actually didn't know that he was in the story. I was often rambling on a tangent, and now I'm back to the story, and it is related, so there you go. He was, um, he was chairing this conference, and there was a public discussion, including... William Hill representatives being on the panel um, on whether sports books really ban shops. By shops, we mean people who are capable of winning at gambling. And there's a million and one ways of defining them. But we're all doing it. And it's not actually that hard. Even you could call arbitrage players shops, betting on shop lines all the time. So here we have um, an MIT panel, a conference, talking about it. One of the panelists for Skin in the Game, sports gambling's emergence in the US on Saturday was Sharon Ottoman, the chief marketing officer at William Hill, an arm of the British bookmaking company. There are philosophies in bookmaking around how you cater to your user base or what kind of customer base you want. Ma began. Ma is the advantage player from bringing down the house. Sharon, I know that you mentioned recreational bettors and William Hill has obviously gotten a lot of tough publicity since coming over to the US in not wanting winning bettors. The notion is you will kick people out for winning. I'm not saying that is correct, but that is a rumour that has been read. There have been articles written about that. And then we can sort of go into this idea of what is the best way to run a sports book? So Ma is playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. He's saying, it's, he's not saying that William Hill kick out William winning punters. He's just suggesting that they may. Well, I think we all know, anyone listening to the Bashcast knows, from a British perspective, from a British recreational or even sharp user point, that William Hill not only ban um, winning players, but they do so relatively easily. My experience two weeks ago in the shops is exactly that. So this should be interesting what they have to say in this public forum in America. Let me be clear. It's not our publicity, replied Ottoman. We have been the victim of getting that reporting. It is not true. We do not kick out winners. This is William Hill. This is William Hill. Let me repeat that. They said this on a panel at MIT in front of a conference. I'm going to start that sentence again. This is Sharon Ottoman, the Chief Marketing Officer at William Hill. Let me be clear. We have been the victim of getting that reporting. It is not true. We do not kick out winners. When folks have not been allowed to play, there is a lot of other reasons that actually go into it. 
There is so much more to the customer story. I think we were picked on a little bit because we're the biggest bookmaker in Nevada and with the most amount of customers, so it's easy to be picked on. But that is not true. We actually want people to win. <laughs> As we were talking about, it is fun. Do you want them to win consistently, Mar interjected? Like, do you want to have people who, you know, are a losing proposition? You want happy and satisfied customers, Ottoman continued. And the analytics prove over time, we have a business. We are not a not-for-profit. Honestly, we are actually a public company, right? We are a business. But at the end of the day, you want happy, satisfied customers who have fun playing. I think the industry is picking on this thing that is actually really is not true and talk, taking random stories and putting it together. You do... With recreational players, you want them to really enjoy it and to fun with it. Now, I'm reading that verbatim, word for word. She's stumbling over her words. She's losing any consistency in her phrasing. There's no argument in what she just said there. She's embarrassed. You would feel sorry for her were her job not chief marketing executive at William Hill. You see... If she actually just turns around and says, yeah, we ban shops, then at least there's some open and honest dialogue there. But that paragraph there, I'm going to repeat it. You want happy and satisfied customers and the analytics prove over time we have a business. We are not a not-for-profit. Honestly, we are actually a public company, right? We are a business. But at the end of the day, you want happy, satisfied customers who have fun playing. I think the industry is picking on this thing that actually really is not true and taking random stories and putting it together. Fire this woman. Fire her. This is not This is the woman who's probably paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and is responsible for selling the idea of a new generation of sports bet uh, betting in the United States of America. And this is her argument against what we all know to be true, that William Hill do ban sharp players. Anyway, back to the story. Mar asks one more time, what about professional bettors? We operate two sports books near here in Rhode Island, Ottoman said. So you can imagine with the Patriots, all the money was on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. And Rhode Island had a great experience of sports betting. And over time, we'll have a healthy business and fans will keep coming back. So I'm not sure if it's a real thing of what is being... I mean, she's not answered any anything there. That, that is skirting around the question. And so Mark cuts in, listen... We talked about this backstage. There is a notion that you are a business, you have to make money, and you make money in the business model that you have. So you kept referencing recreational bettors. Do you feel that you guys can cater towards professional bettors, meaning long-term winners, or is that not where you consider to uh, your customer base to be? We look at our segmentation so much differently than that, Ottoman says, right? So it's not a matter of the recreational versus the long term. We want people to have high player value. They play with us for a long period of time. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. And over time, you have a good business. But the most important thing is transparency and authenticity. We offer fair odds, you know, for every other business. We offer a price and people pay the price or they don't. 
and there's nothing that is going on underneath or behind the curtain or that we don't feel comfortable with. We want consumers to have a good time and have fun with sports betting. At that point, Ma turns to FanDuel Group President and COO Kip Levin, whose company operates the Meadowlands Racetrack Sportsbook and also has its own FanDuel sports app, and said, Kip, do you guys... And he interjected, as I said before, we cater to all different types of players. Answered Levin before the question was even complete. We know that there are some players that may over time be net winners across the spectrum. I think as long as we understand how our business is working, we are comfortable with that. Look, there are also a lot of reasons that get confused in this topic about why you might restrict somebody from betting. We have a huge obligation about responsible gambling. So I think things get confused across the board. But look, we largely have a policy of we take money from just about everybody up to the point where we think there potentially is a problem gambling issue to be aware of. Now, take that response from that US facing Fangel Group President CEO Kip Levin and compare it to the wishy-wanshy skirting around the issue nonsense of the William Hill Chief Marketing Executive. I keep seeing people saying that the UK is 10 years ahead of the US in terms of the industry of gambling. Well, that might be true in terms of the legislation and the maturity of the markets, But in terms of the customer experience, this whole thing that the Americans have when it comes down to tipping waitresses and have a nice day, sir, where they actually genuinely believe that the customer is number one. This guy is saying without a shadow of a doubt that this pinnacle model of accepting money from sharp players in order to shape your own lines is the way forward. William Hill don't even have the balls to stand up and say that they're... they're banning sharp players. That if you take play, if you partake in arbitrage, which by the way, I would actually have no problem whatsoever if she said we were banning arbitrage players. I'd have no problem, but she can't even say that. Ma then turned to ESPN sports betting analyst Doug Kurtzerian. Doug, do you have any thoughts in terms of you as someone who has covered gambling for quite some time? And you have noted that you are a gambler yourself. Do you feel like this is an idea that what we what we're representing on this point of view, that there is this idea that there is no such thing as banning someone from a sports book for simply winning? And I know that's not true. I, I, I'm not saying that William Hill has done that. I'm just saying that sports, by the way, they absolutely have. You don't have to skirt around the issue. I'm just saying that sports betting is notorious. You'll see it all the time that people have trouble getting money down. And the reason they do oftentimes is because they have done too well or they have won. Before Katsarian had a chance to weigh in, Ma shifted to the example of a popular and illegal in the US offshore sports book that specifically caters to professional bettors. That leads to a smaller hold but also to very high volume. It's hard to have this conversation without some acknowledgement that as a business model, not catering to winning betters is part of the model. Right, Ma asks? Are you saying, Sharon, that that is not the case? I'm saying there is so much more to this story, Ottoman says, skirting around the issue for the one millionth time. 
absolutely right, Marcel. And I'm sure a lot of it has been blown out of proportion. And it's edge cases. It's edge cases. I'm just curious about it. It's not like if I got to choose whether to run a business that makes 1% to 4%, 4% sounds better to me. Kurt Syrian said that if the regulated US sports betting industry was to copy that offshore business model, I would, if I was working at those operations, want that professional money for that information. And I would have maybe lower limits and know the sharp side or whatever you want to call it. I would say that professional better money would help me have a higher hold percentage because you can use their bets to help you. And that's the premise, Ma said. It's an interesting discussion. They go hand in hand, is what I'm saying, or they could go hand in hand. Said Levin, well, I would say that this is a great sales pitch to the people in the audience who came here who are interested in getting into the analytics and the industry. Look, we take money from people who we know are probably going to win over time because it's interesting data to plug into all the models that we have that are setting prices in the future. Ma finished the segment of the panel discussion with a somewhat startling observation. If people ask me, should I start doing analytics for sports betting? I tell them no, Ma said. It's too hard to get money down if you're winning. That's just the way it is. And I wonder. I had a hope that maybe legalisation would change that, and I'm not sure that it will. It will be interesting to see if we are able to, again, going back to this whole idea of can we grow the overall pot as big as possible? Well, one of the ways is to allow everyone to bet, right? As long as they're not felons or whatever and they're not cheating. I completely get that. As long as they're just legally doing the right thing in transactions, I think it's let everybody play right, win or lose, and then figure out your business to leverage them. On that note, three hours ago, I logged on to Coral on what I believe to be a perfectly healthy, unrestricted account. And I asked for £60 on the non-boosted price, and it wasn't even top price across bookmakers of James Wade to have the most 180s in his darts match in the draw no bet market at 11 to 8. 60 pounds at 11 to 8. The bet went to the trader and sat there for two minutes. My anxiety levels actually started rising thinking that I was doing something wrong as the trader considered the liability involved in a 60 pound bet at 11 to 8. In a two-horse market. That is where we are with sports betting in the UK. And you're telling me that we're 10 years ahead of what these people are talking about with their aspirations in America? I know America haven't had legalised sports betting and people have had to go offshore to get bets on in Curacao and wherever they can. But I'm telling you this, the way that they view, they don't have the cynicism and the negativity and they haven't had the confiscations and the palps. I don't believe America are 10 years behind us. What I believe is that if you take the back to the future timeline, they're going to branch out from us right now and move forward and we're going to lag further and further behind and in a couple of years time 
America is going to have this prosperous gambling environment. If they get it right, it's going to be a happy one and a content one. And we're just going to continue going to hell in a handcart. What else is in the bookie bashing news? I'm going to save March Madness bracket strategy for another week. I also think I wanted to, I said at the, at the off I wanted to talk. I've like had this story that my dad passed to me about the NBA referee who was fixing games in return for bungs. I've had it and I've wanted to talk about it for like 15 bash casts, but I think I'm just going to carry it over one more because we've already gone over tonight. I wanted to finish on editorial part two about goings on in the site, specifically the... The theory that we have caused damage already to the um, value that we are taking um, on both the boosts and the coupons. That is a theory. Okay. To me, and by the way, I want to caveat that with just because... I am sort of the face of Bookie Bash and me and Duncan have started this. Doesn't mean that I'm right. And I'm happy to admit that. It does mean that I've got an opinion. It doesn't mean that the opinion's right. So I'm not saying this is gospel. I'm not saying this is uh, the truth. I'm saying this is what I believe. Also, there's a little bit of factuality that's going to go into it as well. The coupons and the boosts. Some people are saying Bookie Bashing got so big that you go to a booster's cut. And the values eroded. Or you go into William uh, Betfred and you bet on the pushers coupon and the teams have been cut. And the values eroded. And it got so big that it's actually self-imploding now. Now it is true that we have seen self-implosion in the value industry. There are three other big sites those sites are odds monkey profit accumulate and profit maximizer there's then thousand and one copycat sites there as far as i can see they're just rehashing the same match betting ethos over and over again amongst them and i don't know how many people are on all all of the sites or multiple sites but i believe the figures are 50,000 on Profit Accumulator, 40,000 on Profit Maximizer, 20,000 on Odds Monkey. I know um, there is a list available if you want to buy it, and I don't. I wouldn't be interested in it. And I would never sell any data like this to anyone either. Um, I have a database of... Well, there are 224 people in Bookie Bashing, and I have a database of 224 people's emails. And apparently I could sell that to some people for some money. And we actually have to go through um, those regulations which says that we're going to protect data and stuff like that. I have no idea. It's so bad that people would ever want to do that, that they would take like a list of people's personal data and do it. Now, now that I've got access to it, I can say two things. One, I've pretty much never looked at it unless I need to go and find your someone's email address to contact them for any reason. 
But I mean, the thought of actually selling it for profit or doing anything with it, not that we're allowed to now legally, but even when we were allowed to, is so alien. It's like such a betrayal of trust to do something like that. But I understand that lists do exist, which presumably my email, thomasbrownley at yahoo.co.uk, sits on, um, which is of people that are have, have been interested in the in either advantage play or match betting or something like that before in the past. And you can go and buy this email list if you want to, which I don't. But there's 100,000 names on it. So there's enough people around that know about these things. Now, we have 224 people. That doesn't mean that we definitely don't have any effect on value. It really depends on how sensitive the market is that we're tracking. And this comes down to changes in the way that we are working as a site. Two years ago or three years ago, every single day I would go and post to the 50 people that were on the site, essentially a small table, a small table of accumulators that could not be laid. And those accumulators tended to be held for some time. Fast forward to today, well, but in those days I was posting 20 bets. And today we're posting 200, 300, 400 on a Saturday. 400 bets we're tracking. A majority of them are negative EV. A lot of them are positive EV. But a lot of them are a lot more sensitive markets than we were tracking. We were tracking just headline prices. If you have go and have a look at Skybet and they say... Man United, Newcastle, Liverpool are going to be 6-1. to one. They're going to hold that 6-1 to one because it's a headline marketing price. But if you delve into the actual game and then you're looking at, you know, it could be it could even be something as simple as England versus Scotland in the rugby. Johnny made to score the first try 6-1. to one. And If his lay comes to like 5.0, they're not holding 6-1, to one, I promise to God, because they're getting arbed to death. That Johnny May bet is a lot more of a sensitive market. It's not something I would have entertained tracking before because the time it would have taken me, like it's highly dependent on the liquidity forming and the exchange market, that being value. And whilst I can pick off anything that's value whilst I'm looking at it, I can't go away, sleep, brush my teeth, have dinner, just be away from monitoring the markets and have it come good and identify it. It's the kind of thing that automation helps with. But with the automation, it's a double-edged sword. It means that we can track many more markets that are obviously more sensitive. But because we're tracking more sensitive markets, that means that the chance that something is cut by the time you get to it increases. It increases with the fact that we're tracking more sensitive markets. So is this a bad thing? To me, no. The reason it's not a bad thing comes down to that one friend of ours, volume. You see, before when I was posting these 20 bets, I was maybe getting on three or four bets a day. I promise you that since we've automated the process, I'm getting on five times that. Now, yes, I am more often than I used to be. I'm finding, I'm logging on and go, oh, it was cut. And occasionally I'll still take it if it's marginally thin positive EV and occasionally I'll still take it if it's sneakily negative EV because I'm a bit of a degenerate. But it's annoying and I share the frustration with other people. 
Do I think it's because we grew from 50 people to 224 people? My personal opinion, and I'm, I'm trying to say this as objectively as I can, no, I really don't. I think that there, that there have been very few, if any, cases where bookie bashing has caused something to be cut. My, one of my best pals who was an usher at my wedding, John, would disagree with this fact. He, do, he actually genuinely, he owns a hat that's made out of tin foil. But he, he, his personal opinion is that there are bookmakers that are signed up to bookie bashing just under normal people's names. And he thinks that um, if something comes good in the tracker, they, gen, they genuinely go and cut it. I don't, I don't agree with him. And nothing's to say that I'm right and he's wrong. And nothing's to say that he's right and I'm wrong. But it's my personal opinion that we're not big enough. We 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 sort of haven't got things cut. We're just monitoring more sensitive markets. So that was the first thing, and then the second thing was the coupons. Now the coupons are an interesting breed. We've been doing them for years again, and what happens with the coupons is that there are just some weekends you you almost need a you're waiting for that perfect storm to happen in the same weekend the perfect storm being one serious price crashes money has to come in and shape the markets you see some weekends money just does nothing moves and if nothing moves nothing becomes value right and you do have those weekends that are if you like boring there's no surprise team news there's no there's nothing unexpected that happens you see once once a price has been set earlier in the week you know Rotherham or 2.2 to back more often than not, by the time they go off, there's pretty close to 2.2 to back. We're looking for those examples where the price has changed significantly. And sometimes, sometimes the price just doesn't change significantly. So that's the first thing we're looking for. But then we're also hoping that those prices happen to be high. It's a lot more fun betting at 6, 7, 8, 9 to 1 than it is betting at 1 to 2, you know. Or... All the results can come in and all the price changes can happen. But if they're all odds on, then we're not going to make a lot of money that weekend because Fred has these limits of £300 per coupon unless you're very friendly with the staff, which is fantastic when you're betting on at an average of, you know, 40, 50 to 1 as we were in the third round of the FA Cup. But it's not so good if the average odds you're betting at is odds on. And then your EV is completely eroded. Why Fred doesn't limit by payout instead of um, stake, I'll never know. But, so we're waiting for that. We're waiting for the traders to be asleep because they are asleep frequently. Not all the time. And they can be very reactionary. I think we've seen that. So the week after they've been asleep, they will tend to be on the ball. But it's never consistent. And then on top of all of those things, the teams actually have to win because you can have the price movements, you can have the traders being asleep, you can have the prices being high. If teams don't win at the end of it, then it doesn't mean anything. So we're waiting for that perfect storm. Now, one very common thing that everyone, everyone that has gone in and bet on pushes coupons has experienced is getting to the counter and hearing that certain teams are cut. It's a very common occurrence to the extent that 
on the tracker that we have, anyone can go on and update a price. Try not to be an arsehole and put in a load of fake prices like someone did. What's the point of that? What is the point of doing that? It's like you're the kid that just breaks stuff and ruin everybody's time for no reason whatsoever and you're a dickhead. Don't do that, dickhead, right? This pointless. If you don't like what we're doing there, go away and do something else. So you, but if you're sincere, you can go on, you can change the price. Also, by the way, because a direct result of that weekend, we have a log of everyone that's changed all the prices. That helps us twofold. One, if you're going to be the dickhead that puts in false prices, we're just going to kick you from the site. And secondly, I'm going to thank you very much for actually you know, helping out. And we do thank people and we don't publicize it, okay? Except for this. But hopefully sneaking this into a very small segment of the Bashcasters is enough of a non-publicity. Going back to this, right? So we can update the prices, but also you have to be prepared to at the counter to be told that there's a change of price. And you've sort of got to have your wits on you a little bit, right? First of all, there's nothing wrong with asking before you hand over any money, have there been any changes to the prices, and then have a plan. That plan can be you've got some backup teams. Now, I like I like scanning my eye down to the 98, 97, 96% and looking for a low odds teams. Say Liverpool are there and they're 1.2 to back and 1.23 to lay. They're not positive EV. What they are is they're a good replacement team for if anything is cut. You might say, well, why are we putting negative EV teams in there? At 97% EV, on average, they've still improved. Smart money has still pushed them down by about 5%. To me, don't focus too much on what is 100% or more or what is green, highlighted green on the tracker. I'm going to change that next season because I don't want people to be hung up about this 100% thing. If there was a bunch of teams that were 99% and they were red, I would still bet on them because on average, the price has come in. They've started life at 93% and they've come into 99%. Don't be hung up against static lays. It's price movement. It's the delta price that we're more interested in. It's more powerful an indicator. Teams that are 99% are still good. So if something's cut, your first question is, how much has it been cut? If it's been cut down to, and you've got to do the rough maths in your head, and I know you can't remember every lay, so you've got to sort of have an idea of what would be acceptable. It, it is difficult. It is. But you've got to have an idea. It's part of the game being sharp-witted like this at the till. What cut is too much? I'll accept a lot of cuts. But if Liverpool went from 6 to 5 to 4 to 6... I'll know that that's way too much. That that can't be a long-term winning strategy to take that bet. Don't worry too much about the bet being under the lay price, as long as it's not too far. If you suspect that it's too far, two options. One, kick the team off. You're no longer doing seven teams. You're doing six teams. You may have to up the stake. And if you don't want to up the stake, just take a smaller stake over fewer teams. Or two, replace the team with a short-priced team that's negative EV. And occasionally you might have just gone in and there's only five or six teams that are worth getting in and all five or six teams have been slashed. You've got to shelve the bet. It's happened to us all. Frequently. It's a long-term game. We could place 100 value bets on the pushes and be down and still have a positive expectation strategy. I think, in fact, mathematically we've shown that that is actually the case over time. 
It's a long to it's a season long game. I would say that if you're placing enough bets over the season, you'll make money. If you're placing what one bet every weekend, it might not be the case. If you had to pick a time when to place the bets, two fifty five p.m. on a Saturday afternoon seems to be my favorite time of the week. The reason being that late kickoff. They tend not to slash the odds. There's a lot of late money that has reacted against team news at 2 p.m. You see, some people get upset. They look at the tracker at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and say, there's no value there. They say, well, what do you think has changed that there should be value there? We've all woken up in the morning. We've got to 10 a.m. Nobody's injured. There's no massive news. What's changed in the markets that should have seen teams become positive expectation nothing so don't be surprised that there's nothing it's a waiting game if you have to pick a time to go and do it do it at 2:55 p.m on a saturday if you can't be in a shop at 2:55 on a saturday take the best seven teams at 10 a.m i know five of them are red money's still coming for those teams that are at the top of the table and push them down i know half of them are draws betting on draws is half the fun <laughs> I don't think coupons have got any harder. I certainly think after the third round of the FA Cup, when we had that fantastic weekend where prices were held unbelievably high, the traders were asleep doing something else. I certainly think there was a reaction to that and the two or three weekends after that were hard for everyone. But I've seen that in the past. We've had £20,000 weekends before and that's happened. And then it comes to Cheltenham and you find that all the prices are held. Why are they held? Because the traders are busy doing other things, looking for people that are robbing the Cheltenham horses. And there are other times as well, like midweek in the Champions League, when the coupon is released so late in the day, that it is all about catching Fred off guard. And it's a little bit difficult to estimate when that's going to happen and when the perfect storm is going to come in. But in all honesty... This is like playing chess with a good strategy. You're not going to win every single chess game, but you don't have to. You just know with your good strategy, you're going to win the majority of the games over a season, and that's good enough. So it's this long-term point of view, and I just think, I think a few people came on board after the results of the third-round FA Cup, and they wanted to replicate that and get instant success and they found it very difficult and started complaining that the increase in site membership and bookie bashing was to blame for some of the lack of success. I personally don't think that that is true. I've been doing these coupons for time. I I went three months, November, uh, October, November, December without making hardly anything, like pennies. But it's a long-term game. Made a lot of money in September. Made a lot of money in January. Making money overall. And I would wager anybody my bankroll that if I continue doing what I'm doing for the next 12 months across to the middle of the 2020-2021 season, 2019-2020 season, that um, I would be in profit. So there's a, that's just my uh, my thoughts on the cuts. Anyway, and the second thing was um, the feedback. So keep obviously keep the positive and the feedback, the negative feedback coming. I'll try not to focus too much on the on the negative unless it's constructive. But this constructive p- 
point is something that I wanted to wanted to highlight uh, as a community. I wanted people to start constructively throwing ideas about the direction that they would like to see us go. Um, it's all well and dandy saying, you know, this is an intelligent home of advantage players, but trust me when I say there are more advantage players out there that are worth talking to. There was a couple of old, old advantage players on the site, some of the first couple of members, and they disappeared to America. And I think they've been there for about 18 months smashing brick-and-mortar casinos to pieces with a new edge that they had. They're home now, and we're trying to find a date when me and Duncan can go and catch up with these guys and find out what they've um, what they've been doing. And whilst ne- not necessarily those small edges can be shared, there's certainly got to be thought into different pathways for the future. I'm going to assume the multi-accounting casino bonuses either A, has a limited shelf life, or B, if you wanted to do it, you were doing it anyway. There's not much I can sort of, you know, information or anything I can help with doing that. I'm no expert in it. But what if that comes to an end? What if arbitrage comes to an end? What if value betting comes to an end? What do we do next? Literally, do we decide to form teams and go and look at progressive jackpots on slots and casinos and figure out, well, this has to drop. Statistically, this has to drop in the next thousand spins. There is a risk of losing 500 to 1,000 pounds in getting the jackpot to drop, but the upside is 5,000 pounds. The equity on this on this risky venture is whatever the equation says. Is that the future? It could be. It's something that I'm definitely interested in. I want to learn a little bit more on how to do. Um, or do we keep going down the line of online betting or shop betting, trying to tear apart heuristically and empirically these pick your punt bets? One problem with the hashtag pick your punt bets is the average value seems to be so terrible. It very often literally feels like finding a needle in a haystack. It's an awful use of the word literally in that sentence. It's literally like finding a needle in a haystack, looking for the good bet in this field of hashtag pick your punt bets. And then you find that you do find the one bet and they palp it anyway. To think um, Sport Nation, Red Zone Sports would have done last night. There was a bet on online, which was Germany... And Wales both to win and Trinidad to score up at 9-1. to one. That's the same as a double of Germany to win, which is 1.2. And Wales to win and both teams to score, which was 3.4. So it was like a 9-1 to one bet and the lay, implied lay would have been less than 4-1. to one. And they were taking 25 quid in it. Were they actually offering that? No, they weren't. They, they probably wanted to say Germany and Wales to win, and Trinidad and Serbia to score, and they missed out the and Serbia part of the bet. 
Meaning what? Would they have paid out? They, I don't know. There's the, the chances that they would have palped it were really high, which is why I wonder sometimes if trying to find mega value in some of these um, hashtag pick your punts um, is worthwhile because not only is it a needle in the haystack, but then you have to throw in the, the palpable error issue that we have anyway so there has to be a focus on where we're going to go i don't know everything and i don't know where people want to go either and that's why i'm saying use the forum use the feedback throw out any idea someone said the other day um they, they didn't want to ask a question because they didn't want to come across stupid here's a really important rule especially in an advanced community no believe me no question is too fucking stupid have you ever been sat in a meeting at work and some dickhead has been stood at the front of a powerpoint presentation warbling on for hours and you look around the room and everybody they want they're either on their phone or they're staring at the floor or they're twiddling their fingers no he's not engaging and nobody has a clue what he's talking about he's a he's a bad orator he's a bad communicator He's not getting his point across very well. And then you're like, well, I should ask a question here. I should ask for clarity. But nobody else has. So maybe everybody else in the room understands him and it's me that's the stupid one. No. No. 80% of people will not say anything in that situation for fear that they're the stupid one and everyone else understands them. 15% of people will stop the guy and start asking questions to try and seek some sort of clarity. And the remaining 5% are clever enough to shut up because they know that if they ask a question, they're just extending the hell that they're sitting in. (laughs) But listen, if something doesn't make sense, uh, it's a very, very good chance that it hasn't been communicated effectively and efficiently and well. And if it hasn't been effective, communicated well ask the question because that means that that mode that medium of communication can be improved the next time so if something doesn't make sense ask away we've got a forum for that and as i'm the point i'm trying to have throughout all of this is that if you have an idea for direction no matter how stupid drop it down on the site what's the worst that can happen i want to know where people want to go i want to know where people want to go that sounds just enough of a cheesy tagline to wrap up today i say at the beginning of the bashcast still out of habit that we look at what's coming up but i haven't done the last few episodes i might drop that tagline at the beginning i'm not going to drop how we end this guys though whatever it is that you're betting on do make sure it's value this is tom signing out this is big. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?